Amen. Good morning again. Thankful to be here today. Y'all pray for us as we sing. Amen. Just that season. Amen. Oh, snotty and everything. But um, we're here today, though, not to not to make a scene or not to be seen, uh, but to lift up Jesus. Amen. So y'all pray for us as we sing. <clears throat> David sang the praises of the glory of Jehovah. Paul preached that all is lost save knowing Christ. And John said he's precious by leaning on his bosom so for a moment May I humbly testify. Did I mention that I love him? Oh, how I worship and adore him. When I could see no way, he made a way. And did I mention that he's been faithful to every promise he's ever made me. Oh, I love him. That's all I want to say. Now, how many sermons can be preached about this Jesus? How many songs? can be sung about God's Son. Oh, there are not enough words, not enough notes in the music to tell the story of all my Savior's done. Hey, did I mention that I love him, how I worship and adore him. When I can see no way, he makes a way. Did I mention that he's been faithful to every promise he's ever made me? Oh, I love him. That's all I want to say. Do you know it? Will you sing it with me? Did I mention that I love him? How I worship and adore him. When I can see no way, he makes a way. Praise the Lord for a good music program. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And uh, you might want to also put your finger in Ephesians, chapter 5. Genesis, chapter 1, and Ephesians, chapter 5. As we have, uh, while you're turning, as we've stated previously, we've, we're planning to spend several weeks together concerning uh, this idea or this concept of 3D, three-dimensional Christianity, which includes the castle, the career, and the church. And we've spent a couple of weeks uh, talking about the foundation. This week we're going to look a little further into the picture. When you find your way to Genesis chapter 1, if you'll stand with me. In reverence of the reading of God's word, we're just going to read a couple of verses here, 
and then we'll pray and start. Starting in verse 26, Genesis chapter 1, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we look into these truths this morning, as we speak and answer the question biblically, what about marriage? God, I pray that you would encourage and edify this morning. Lord, I also pray that you would challenge and that you would charge and that you would convict. Father, where necessary, I pray that conversion would be known. Lord, I pray that as we uh, gather together this morning and we think on these things as we are developing this thought, God, that your blessed Holy Spirit would be among us, uh, that he would be given liberty to move, to illuminate, and to do those things which he is charged to do. And I pray that before we leave here today, that, Lord, we would see application and walk obediently to it. That it would be known as we left today that our walk is different. Father, I love you, I thank you, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When we think of this idea of castle, of course, that's my word. When we think of the idea of castle or the castle of the Christian, we are... Of course, speaking about their home, their, uh, the legacy which they will leave. The castle for the Christian must be built upon the solid rock foundation which is Christ. Not only must it be built on the solid rock foundation, but Christ must be the cornerstone of the building. It is built upon Him. And that's why we shared the previous two sermons as we, we talked about the idea and we considered the, the, the truth that we need to follow God, imitate God, that we need to love like Christ, that we need to put off the old man, that we must become renewed in the spirit of our mind, that we must put on the new man. Those things are laying that solid rock foundation for everything else that we do in life. When we, when we get there, we are laying that foundation. And so with that in mind, we would begin thinking about the castle or the building of the home. And when we think about home, then of course we think of everything that consists in the home. We would certainly consider our connections, uh, those relationships which are comprised of spouses and there that of spouses and children and our other family relations and we would consider also our competence our consistency our contentment how we are looking unto the Lord for those things and we would think about even the family calendar how we organize our home how we drive our home and how we order our days and some would even think about career in this area, but we'll spend time on that later. Likely, if, if we were to begin distinguishing homes, one of the greatest distinctions in the household is the, the, the question of relational standing. Is it a, a, are you a single? Are you married? Are you divorced? Or are you widowed? I mean, that basically would be a distinguishing factor, a distinction in the home. And those are all, by the way, descriptive terms. They're not defining terms. They're descriptive of where you are. 
the, the defining comes in our relationship with Christ. That relationship becomes before all of the others, and that is what is important, and that is definitive. For certain, it defines who we are. But nonetheless, we would ask, we would think about all of these categories, those who seek marriage and have yet to enjoy it, and we would ask the question, well, what does the Bible say about marriage? What about marriage? And for those who have a failed marriage, and that occurs, we would say, well, what about marriage? And for those who have no desire for marriage, because that occurs, well, what about marriage? What does the Lord say about marriage? And lastly, for those who are married, whether happily or otherwise, you're married. And the question is still the same. What about marriage? What does the Bible say about marriage? And that will be our consideration today. And I want you to know this will be bottom shelf. Because if we get the simple things right, the other things will come. So in this, this morning, there's something for every believer, no matter your status, married or otherwise. So I hope that you'll stay tuned in, and I believe the Holy Spirit will help. The first question we would ask, if we're thinking about what about marriage, we would say, well, what is the origin of marriage? Where did marriage originate? Where did it begin? What is the, the first mention of marriage? And, and that's what we've read this morning. Uh, there in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, we see not only the, the creation of man in verse 26, but in, in 27 it is reiterated that he was created in the image of God and that they were created male and female. And then God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. That is the beginning. And marriage, uh, so you'll uh, know this, and if you've been in church any length of time, you probably uh, know this and have heard these words. Marriage is the oldest institution in the world. It's the oldest institution among men, mankind, if that suits you better. It's the first institution in the scriptures. It is the first command of God given to man even before work. Marriage occupies that space. It's a very uh, important facet. And it has been scripturally defined. And when we would think about this fact of the origin of marriage, well, who is the architect? Who is the planner of marriage? Who first stated? Who first had the concept? Who first had the thought that, oh, what needs to occur is marriage, this idea of two becoming one. Well, God is the architect of marriage. It's not a thought of man. It's not a thought of government. It's not a thought of some poet or, or some, some skeptic or, or some cynic. It is God himself. He is the, the, the architect. He is the proposer and the planner of it. And we read it right here. God made man. He made him in his image, and of course we understand that has to do with the, the Trinitarian aspect of man, and, and we're made in the image of God, and not only did he make him in his image, he made them male and female, he made them diverse from one another in order to complement one another. That is the plan of, of God in the creation of man and woman. And then he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. It's all rather elementary. It's a very simple concept that has been by mankind muddied and complicated for, to no prosperous end, I might add. In fact, it's such an elementary thing that that belief has existed for thousands of years and historically it was unquestioned until just recent. It is that picture that, that God uh, made a man and he made a woman to be the help meet to the man. Well, then we have the conversation. Okay, what does that help meet? What, is that, what does that word mean? What is the concept of a help meet? And we read that in chapter 2, verse 18, if you want to flip over one page there. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him an help meet, or I'll make for him an help meet. Or I'll make an help meet for him. Or your Bible may say I'll make a helper for him. 
what is that? What is the, what is the concept there? Well, would, it, would it shock you to find out that in the Hebrew, that word means helper? <laughs> uh, it's, it's not a hard concept. It's not a difficult thought process. It's been made difficult. So, so what, is, what is a help me? Well, one, one pastor said it this way, Eve was made to be a completer, not a computer. There's context in chapter 2. In fact, if you look right there in chapter 2, leading up to that, uh, the Lord had set aside Adam in verse 20, verse 19, and he said to Adam, uh, name the creatures. And so whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And so these animals were all paraded in front of Adam. You can imagine that any way you want to imagine it. But they were brought across in front of him. And there was a, a period of him looking at them and studying them and determining in that concept uh, or in that time frame what to call them and how to name them. And in that moment, he would fully study that animal. He would look it over very well. And he would... Uh, call it something, and it would occur to Adam, uh, and we see this in verse 20, that there was none of them that were proper to be a helper or a completer to him. That's what he says in verse 20. Adam, and for Adam, there was not found a help me for him. And so God paraded all of the animal kingdom in front of Adam and showed him every one of them and said, none of them are like you. You are special, you are different. And so we, we get the concept, we get the, we get the context that, that you would see two uh, animals together, a male and a female, and what happens? Well, then they're baby animals. And then the, everything moves forward the way it is supposed to. And for Adam, he was to see that and realize none of them are like me. And then God would, would make one for him. Therefore, uh, he says there uh, that, that he made, uh, took out uh, from Adam a rib and he made him. And you see in the, the, the latter verses of chapter 2, we see not only that God was the planner and that he planned this union and that it would accomplish all of the things that God had set forth, uh, but also we see God's hurt, heart concerning marriage when he says there in verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's God's heart for marriage. That's the intention. And this is pretty special when it's developed around Christ. And so we see its planner, and we also see in this same thought that the participants, that the planner designed a man and a woman. The planner designed a male and a female. So that's the design. It should not even be questioned. That is the design. Well, the, the co-contributors are to be heterosexual in constitution. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. That is the only way the process works. And it's the only way that it makes sense. And so, so anything that departs from that design, anything that departs from that design is not of God. I don't, it, you cannot be made of God. It is not of God. It is not an honor to God. It is not legitimate. It is at best an imitation, and at its worth and truthfulness, it is an abomination. Anything. So what does anything mean? Well, anything means anything other than one man and one woman. Anything. The participants are clearly laid out. Well, what is the purpose? Well, the purpose is also clearly laid out. And by the way, I would say this. I would say the purposes of Christian marriage, godly marriage, they are manifold. But there are two very clearly stated right here. And one of them is to uh, procreate, to replenish the earth. And so let me say this. And I don't say this with any apology and I will say this uh, as, I'm, as I'm preparing to say it without apology. I've not always believed it, but it has always been true. 
and it is true, and it will remain true, anything that seeks to, to work contrary to that should be looked at with a skewed eye and suspected as a tool of the enemy. That even goes today. Anything that changes the concept of marriage being one man and one woman and the two of them procreating as God makes available is wrong. I mean, that means everything. And so, uh, just so you won't come to me later, my wife and I used birth control. Knowing what I know today, would we have? No, we would not have. Okay, because we grow and we learn. So anything that stands between that being fulfilled, it's not of God. And the purpose of it is not of God. And the end result of it will not be honoring to God. And it encompasses much more than that. I, I'm not sure when, and I'm, I'm confident there's somebody in here that will come to me at the door as soon as this is over and give me the answer to this question. And I want you to know, I don't particularly care. If it was important to me, I would have researched it for myself. So it's not the sermon. It is the aspect of the thought process. I don't know when population control became a thing. I don't know who first came up with that. I would suspect it was not good in its genesis. I don't know when population control or the idea, the concept of overpopulation became a thing, but let me tell you what kind of thing that thing is. That thing is an evil thing. You and I are not to be the authors of life and death. We are not, we're not designed for that. That's not our responsibility. We're not to determine how many people this earth can support. We didn't create this earth. God would say to Job something very applicable in this moment. Where were you when? Right? That would be the answer to that. That is, that is not who we are. We, we are not intended to be dictators of life and death. We're not enabled to make such decisions. Only God is. So anything that works to dissuade, discourage, or disable procreation within a heterosexual marriage is not of God. So the very first thing, first purpose of marriage is to procreate. Replenish the earth. Secondly, is to become one. It is a union. And it is meant to be a union. It is meant the two becoming one. And furthermore, what God has put, uh, put together, let not man put asunder. It is that the two become one. There is, there is a, all sorts of places we could go with that, but in the end, isn't it a wonderful thing? Isn't it an amazing thing when two individuals become one, growing up together, growing old together, and completing one another. And when the marriage is founded upon Christ, that is what it is. And that is what occurs. And so we have this, this picture of what is the origin of marriage? Where did it come from? What was the, the planner? Who was the planner? Who are the participants? And what is the purpose? And secondly, what is the order of marriage? What is the order of marriage? Now listen, this may be, seem very mundane to you. But if your marriage is not uh, grounded upon, grounded in the faith and built upon Christ, uh, then everything else that you attempt to do in your life for Christ is going to be very difficult to accomplish. Likely impossible. So what is the order? Well, I want to talk about the order in, in three different aspects. First, I want to think about how it's rated. What is the order of importance for marriage? And I think that we get a very good picture of that in this very first verse that we read because what we understand it is the first order of assignment. Before God gave any other commands, before any other institutions were established, before governments, before kingdoms, before armies, before the church, God planned and instituted marriage. It is the most important institution that we could ever be a part of. It is the first order of business for a married person. What marriage should be, 
Marriage should be bigger than anything else in their life. That means that it is bigger than their career. It is bigger than the individual. It is bigger than the children. That marriage is the first order. And if marriage is my first order of responsibility, if in order to please God, I must first be faithful and right in my marriage, that is my first responsibility, then that union, that, that institution must be protected, it must be guarded, it must be shielded from outside interference, it must be coddled, it must be observed, it matters. It is not just something that was done and can be undone. In the eyes of God, once, God, once it's done, it is forever. Now, we'll talk about the obvious implications, the realities of that in a moment. But let me tell you something. There should nothing come between you and your wife or you and your husband in the picture of marriage. Nothing. Not the children, not the, the career, not the home, not, nothing. Not the friends. Well, you know, I've got my girlfriends. Well, I'm sorry. God does not honor your girlfriends. He honors your union with your husband. Well, you know, I need my guy time. Grow up. You got married. You now have a wife time. There should nothing come between that. Does it? Absolutely. Do people do it and do it successfully from the outside looking in? Sure. Is it what it should be in God's eyes? It is not. Nothing should come between that union. That union should matter more than everything in the world. It is a responsibility that God gave you first. I have had friends in the ministry that lost their marriage over the ministry claiming that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Well, that marriage in God's eyes was eternal. And I'll just tell you right now, if it came between you guys and her, we're gone. She and I will be somewhere else. Nothing comes between the marriage. Nothing comes before the marriage. It matters. It's rated number one. It is the first order of assignment. Well, what do we understand about that then? If it is the most important thing, if it is the number one assignment, if it is the first order of business, then in reality, it will be the first objective of attack. And that will be in the home and outside the home. If, if, Times get tough. You're married and times get tough. The very first thing that's going to feel pressure is the, the actual marriage itself. Finances ruin marriages. And if we're going broke, baby, we're going broke together. Because what is half of nothing? It's nothing. Finances do that. All sorts of pressures do that. The, the enemy wants to see marriages end. He, the enemy wants to see families destroyed because of the importance that that unit makes in God's economy, in God's plan and purpose. So let's put that in more mundane terms as much as I'm capable of doing. If you, uh, someone is flirting with you, making you feel special, making your spouse seem insignificant or unimportant, that is an attack, and it ought to be viewed as an attack, and is an attack of Satan. And let me tell you something, you're not special, but you are a partner in the most important enterprise in God's economy. Amen. And that enterprise ought to be a, a, a protected above everything else. It's a very powerful enterprise, and Satan wants to destroy that. And do you know what you amount to in Satan's plan as he attacks the marriage you are upon? Do you know what you amount to in God's plan as it proposes marriage? You're a partner. What would you rather be, a pawn or a partner? If you... Uh, See, when you see society attacking marriage, they, and they're attacking it 
through sexuality. They're attacking the concepts and ideologies of monogamy. They're attacking the concepts and ideologies of gender, of reproduction, of childbirth, of traditional marriage. That is Satan. That is the enemy of marriage, and it is goal is to destroy the family. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about your happiness. It doesn't care about your personal fulfillment. It has no concern for you at all. It is not interested in making you a better version of yourself. It is interested in making you less of a married person than you are. I mean, there, there was a time when every TV show, and it was before my time, I have to be honest. I mean, uh, but I watched a lot of it on waiting on the school bus. There was a time when, what were the names of the shows? Father Knows Best. And, and you think about the, the Cleavers, that picture. That's what was popular on TV. And, and we've, we've degraded so far, and we can say so much, and, and they've, they've devalued fatherhood, they've devalued motherhood, they've devalued the intelligence of the father and the ability to care for the family, until we get all the way to the place where you've got people that, that uh, obsessively watch shows like Sister Wives, where this, this guy is practicing polygamy, and oh, I'm just riveted to see what's going to happen. What do you mean what's going to happen? It's an abomination. And whatever happens is going to be an abomination. Why would we want to watch that? Well, it's just the spectacle of it. Well, the spectacle smooths off your resistance to it. They entertain you with it. They, they enthrall you with it. They make you laugh at it. And before long, you're accepting of it. And given enough time, you'll be participating in it. That's what entertainment does. And, and when we see things that are attacking marriage and attacking the family unit, it ought to make us bristle. Because we understand that is not, not only is it not pleasing to God, it is attacking God. It is antithetical to, to God. So when we see TV and it is, or, or entertainment of any kind attacking mas the masculinity of men, the femininity of women, it, it, when it is uh, presenting alternatives to traditional marriage, or understandings of marriage and marital happiness and marital chastity, that is Satan. That's what that is. And you say, well, I think you're overreacting. Well, I think you're underreacting. <laughs> if indeed marriage is the oldest institution in the world and the building block of all society, which it is, and the first thing that God gave us to do, which it is, then would it not make sense that it would be the most attacked institution? And wouldn't we look and say, okay, I see that. I recognize that. That's a ploy. That's a plot. I'm not going to participate in that. So we, we see this idea of its rating. We see its realities. And then I want you to think about its reconciliation. How do we, how do we see it reconciled in society? Or should it be? And I want you to know, marriage is firmly organized in the scriptures. It is not ambiguous. It's not suggested. It is firmly organized. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And, and when we read these verses, you're going to recognize them. You can see this as well in Colossians 3. But we've chosen Ephesians 5, looking at verse 21 to begin with. Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it, and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it, 
that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. 6.1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor the father, thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on the earth. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is a complete exposition and expose of God's determination of how the family ought to work. It's all right there. And everything that argues with it is wrong. And everything that seeks to redefine it is wrong. It is right there. Now, now we can have conversations about certain aspects of it, but it's right there. And this is what it says, that there is a design and an order to marriage and to the home. It is scriptural, it is well-defined, and it is also the bane of every movement that seeks to do damage to the family, whether that be the feminist movement or the progressive movement or the LBGTQ movement plus IA, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what the movement is. If the movement is attacking family and traditional marriage, it is opposed to this scripture and it is seeking to spit in the face of God who is the creator and organizer of all that we have and are. It's evident in creation that women, the woman, I should say, is to be the helper to man. That's what it said. It's not a devalued position. In fact, uh, we're told in other areas, Paul says that you uh, treat the, the woman as the, the weaker vessel is what it says. But what it's describing is the difference, the way I heard it explained recently, the difference between a terracotta pot and a porcelain dish. One of them you would not do with what you would the other. Because one of them is dainty. It is special. It is valuable. It is precious. And it is the weaker vessel. And you would protect it and provide for it. Where that terracotta pot, you do anything you want to with it. It's not valuable. And it's built a little different. And so we have that idea... That, that the woman is to be the helper of the man. It should also be evident, however, that the man is to love and protect and to provide for and to cherish the woman because Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is part of me. I'm going to guard it the way I would guard myself. I'm going to love it the way I would love myself and provide for it the way I would provide for myself. And so that's very evident. In, in both passages, in Ephesians and Colossians, it describes the order of Christ being over the husband and the pair being over the children. And that's been demonstrated in a number of ways. If you're reading or if you bought the book Christian Family by Larry Christensen, it's on the, the uh, reading list this year. The way Larry Christensen shows that is a descending flowchart. If you're familiar with flowcharts, Christ at the top, he is above the husband, husband is above the wife, the wife and the husband are above the children. That is not a, a, a downward rank, it is a protective order. Not only, Larry Christensen describes it that way, uh, Bill Gothard, regardless of his, 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 what he turned out to be, was on the right track in the beginning, and the way he shows it is umbrellas. And I'm sure you've seen it. You may not have known it was Bill Gothard, but the great big umbrella that says Christ and the next umbrella that says husband and the next umbrella that says wife and the little umbrella that says children. And under each of those, there are responsibilities. And, and I drove that, that house. That's the way I see it because we're building something that would be honored of God. And, and we're building that and we're doing that together. 
And, and the idea, the concept is that, that, that you are in submission uh, to the Lord. That's, that's what we're trying to comprehend. And so the order is that the entire home is under Christ's umbrella. And as the children submit to the parents, who are they submitting to? Christ. And as the wife submits to the husband, who is she submitting to? Christ. Say it. And as the husband is ruling or guarding the family and leading the family, he is in submission to whom? Christ. It's a, it's a loving picture. It is a comforting picture. It is a, it is a picture that describes what health looks like in the household. And you break any of those chains and what you end up with is chaos and discomfort. You take a husband that breaks out from under the headship of the Lord. The family in the home is going to suffer. You take a wife that breaks out from under the headship of the husband. The family and the home are going to suffer. You take children that will not honor and obey their parents. The, the home is going to suffer. However, typically, just for clarity, I believe that would be a symptom rather than a cause. At any rate, we have this picture that the husband is leading and taking responsibility for the family and that he is first submitting to Christ. Therefore he is loving them as Christ loved the church. Well how did Christ love the church? Well he loved the church so much that he gave himself for it. For her. He sacrificed himself for her. He did so selflessly. That's love. Talk to me about all your erotica love. Love is when you give yourself for that other person. And, and, and Christ... Therefore, uh, the, the, the husband is loving and submitting to Christ. He's loving the way that Christ is. He's giving himself for the family, the wife first, and then the children. That is Christian order. Well, what does it require? Such a redundant theme for me the last couple of years. What does it require? It requires sacrifice of self. It's bigger than you are. Sacrifice of self for the wife and, and then for the family. It, it requires for the husband, for the father, the, the idea of provision obviously has some financial implications, but the more difficult aspect of provision is spiritual. I was about 32 years old when it occurred to me. I want you to know something. It was... It's the most challenging understanding that God ever laid in my lap. You love your wife, and I do. I'd kill you over my wife. I love my wife. I've loved her since I met her. 1983, 13 years old, on the football field in eighth grade. <laughs> you love her. You have done right by her. You've been faithful to her. You've provided for her. You love your children, and I do. I love my kids. I've made a fool out of myself over my kids a few times in my life. I love my children still. You love them. You've provided for them. You give them. But you have not led them to me. God, what a conviction. What a load of guilt to, to realize in a moment that after I'd done everything I believed I was supposed to do, everything that America said I should do and everything that Western values said I should do and everything that I believed I'd been taught to do, that was a failure in God's eyes because I had not brought them to Him. And, and typically speaking, and I see this often, most Christian men, whether it happens when they're born again and it, and it all happens at one time or it comes in a process, most Christian men come to a place in their life where they realize that they are not sufficiently spiritually leading their family. And I want to tell you something. There's a decision to be made right that moment. And if you put it off, it may not ever come back again. If in that moment you decide, well, I've done the best I can do. 
Well, I'm better than that guy over there. Well, what's done is done. Well, you can't unspill the milk. Shame on you. Because what you ought to be doing in that moment is in that moment you ought to be saying, Yes, Lord, you're 100% right. I have not. And God, as you with, with you as my witness, if you will give me the ability, I will lead today moving forward as if every day is the last day of my life. I'll lead them spiritually. I'll bring them to you. I don't care how old they are. I, I do not care. I don't care if your kids are in their 30s or 40s and married. If you as a father were not spiritually leading them, start now. I've had dads say to me before when I was youth pastoring, friends, well, you know, my daughter's 13. Those things have started. I'll hand her off to her mother. Are you out of your mind? You must be crazy. That girl is special and you're the most important man in her life and you're going to hand her off to her mother? Shame on you. You better bow your back up and know this is when it matters. You don't hand kids off. Lord, I remember the day when I used to think, well, I can't wait till they're 18. I wish they weren't. I wish they were five again where I had them under my nest. They're a lot easier to protect them because they're still mine. And they're still my responsibility. It requires sacrifice. And when you realize, man, listen to me, husband, father, when you realize that you have not, don't put that off. Make that the most important thing in your life. That I want to stand up and be a Christian husband and father and grandfather. Too much. Too much is made out of wives' submission, both by men and women. If, if that's the word that you're hung on, it's going to be a long day because you're hung on the wrong word. I suggest, husbands, that rather than you talking about how she won't, that you start sacrificially and preemptively and selflessly loving her. And ladies, I suggest, and you don't have to take my advice for it, but I'm speaking to you from my heart, that instead of worrying about the world's definition of equality, why don't you begin helping your husband be the man you've always dreamed he would be? Treat each other like royalty. See if your house doesn't become a place fitted for a king and queen. What's the obligation of marriage? And I'll get done here quickly. Well, according to Matthew 19, in the words of Christ, it is a lifetime obligation. It is meant to be one man and one woman till death do us part. That's what he says in Matthew 19. Now listen, we, we know that divorce happens. But for the grace of God, it could have happened to me. It still could, but for the grace of God. We know that divorce happens. And, and we know that it happens to people who are at fault. We know that it happens to people who are not at fault. We know that some have later repented. And, and we know that some have, have had confession and forgiveness and restoration. Those things are all there. That's absolutely there. It's not an unpardonable sin. It's been painted wrong. It does not disqualify you. It's not unpardonable. It is something to be repented of and moved on. However, we also, what we understand is that's the thing about people. Is that people are messy. And when people are involved, the involvement is going to be messy. But the biblical design and the Christian intent is until death do we part? And I think it's simply stated, the further we could get away from the overwhelming divorce rates of today, the further we could get away from that, the stronger the family would become. 
And I don't want to be redundant, but as the family goes, so goes the church, and as the church goes, so goes society. And the divorce rates within the church are as bad as they are, maybe worse than they are outside of the church. But why is that? It's because people have not worked at developing spiritual leadership in the home and building a Christian family. The next thing, we, we know it's a lifetime commitment. The next thing, it's a type of the church. That's what Paul says there in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, this is a type of uh, a relationship that occurs in the church. And so we could better comprehend what occurs in the church by living our Christian life through our marriage. It is a picture to help us understand the relationship between Christ and the church. Lastly, I believe marriage is a calling. Now, why do I say that? I say that because I believe some people don't want to get married, don't need to get married, and should never get married. And what has happened in our society is those people have been stigmatized and they tried to define them by saying that they are gay or biracial or bisexual or whatever they want to call them. And it's not the truth. Paul says that God made some people eunuchs and some are made eunuchs of themselves. Some people just don't have a desire. They don't have a need. It is just not there for them. And that's fine because what marriage is not, it is a, a, an institution of God, but it is not a requirement for every believer to be married. And, and I've, I've heard a friend of mine talk to me so much about how they've been devalued because they weren't married and they didn't have children, so on and so forth. That's foolishness. It's absolute foolishness. It is... It is a calling marriage is. It's a, it is something that, that God puts on your heart. Paul, Paul would actually talk about in Colossians, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, that, that if, you, if you can live without marriage and do so without burning in lust, then you should do that because when you're not married, you can focus all of your energy, love, and affection on the Lord. And that goes for men and women. But if you're not built that way, if you, if you burn with lust, so to speak, then by all means, get married and build a Christian marriage. But if you don't, don't. You should not. You should just focus your energies on the Lord. Just focus your energies on serving the Lord. And then the last thing that I would want to say is, if you're speak, seeking a spouse, and, and I, I, I know you're going to find this very hard to believe, but Nobody ever asked me my opinion. I mean, we have singles in the church. Not one of them come to me and say, Pastor Corey, what should I do about my love life? I don't know why that is, but they don't. Because I've got a really good love life. Uh, but <laughs> and I have a lot of, a lot of opinions. Uh, but look, seriously. If, if you're going to be seeking a spouse... You need to first make sure that your relationship, relationship with the Lord is right. If that one's not right, you, you're going to have a hard time developing another one. That one needs to be right. And if that one is right, then the more you understand about what right is in relationship to the Lord, you should understand that whomever you're seeking needs to improve or further that relationship with the Lord or else they are not on the list of being sought. If they don't make you closer to Christ, if they don't make you more Christian, if they don't strengthen your spiritual walk, then you may go ahead and have that relationship. You may go ahead and accomplish that marriage, but it will be fraught with anguish if you indeed belong to Christ. Because if they don't currently, you're not going to win them after marriage. It's not going to happen. You're not going to change the way they act after marriage. It is not going to happen. If you look at that person and the first thought that comes to your mind is, well, if they would do thus and thus, you just need to walk away. It ain't right. Uh, what they, the love songs of the 80s used to say it this way, if it ain't easy, it ain't right. If you look at that person and all you can see is a, a laundry list of projects, save yourself the time. Go get a dog. <laughs> Do not be unequally yoked. And when Paul is talking about unequally yoked, it's a spiritual thing. 
has nothing to do with race, age, none of that stuff. And all of that is, is manufactured. And most of it's regional. What he's talking about is spiritually speaking. If that person is not in a love relationship with Christ, they're not going to be able to carry on a love relationship with you that will be to your standard. They're just not going to be able to do it. And so, don't. I'm going to close. Would you stand with me? I wonder if you would answer that question for yourself today. Does your marriage resemble the biblical example? Husband, are you in a submitted relationship with Christ? So much so that it dictates the way you interact with your wife. That's how the answer should be. Wife, are you submitting to Christ so much so that you can find yourself in complete and total submission to your husband and you're in a place that you are comfortable and content? If not, maybe, maybe that would be the first move this morning that some husbands and wives would come down and say, Lord, I want that. Maybe you would come. Grandmother and grandfather, granddad, grandmama, pa, granna, whatever you go by. Did you make mistakes? I'm sure you did. I did. Do we quit? No. There's still your responsibility. You still have impression and impact in their life, even when you think you don't. And that grandchild that's coming along, you owe them something. We teach, we instruct, and most importantly, we pray. Maybe this morning there's some grandparents that want to come down and pray for your grandchildren. Single, if you're here, you're searching for a mate, get yourself right with Christ first and look for somebody to fulfill that relationship. The question is this, and it's for everybody. Are you fully submitted to the Lord's will in your life? It starts with Christ being the cornerstone. and That comes from regeneration and rebirth. Repent, believe the gospel. Call upon the Lord, you shall be saved. Would you come this morning? Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name. going to play through one more time.
Amen. Would you look this way? Thank you so much for your attention this morning and your attendance. And uh, if you're visiting with us, please come by and see us at the visitor's desk. We've got a gift for you. And uh, uh, I hope to see you this afternoon at uh, the Ag Center uh, at 4 o'clock. It starts at 4, so that means don't be in the parking lot at 5 till. Uh, and if you want to not get run over, get there at 15 till, and uh, you'll be safer. Uh, but anyway, we hope to see you there. And uh, please be in prayer for Hope Awakening and for all the events that occur over these next couple of weeks uh, that God would work in through those. And uh, thank you again for being here. Brother Kenny, would you close us in prayer this morning, sir? Heavenly Father, we praise your name.